tenakoto, 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 katoa. No mai hare mai ki tenehui o na Auckland Unitarians. No mai hare mai o na Manuhiri. Welcome, my name's Sally Mabel, and I'll be leading our service this morning with assistance from the lovely Nina Kuri and Paul Hower. Thank you, guys. Our theme today is Mysticism as Activism. And my opening words are from a well-known Persian mystic, Jalaluddin Rumi. Yesterday, I was clever, so I wanted to change the world. Today, I am wise, so I'm changing myself. Sell your cleverness and buy bewilderment. Cleverness is mere opinion. Bewilderment brings intuitive knowledge. Let yourself be silently drawn by the strange pull of what you really love. It will not lead you astray. The universe is not outside of you. Look inside yourself and everything you want, you already are. I'm going to light our chalice and the chalice reading is by the Unitarian Universalist Minister Sarah Lammert. The element of fire. Let me see. The element of fire represents passion, veracity, authenticity, and vitality. If the chalice is the supporting structure of Unitarian Universalism, then we are its flame. We are the flame fanned strong by our passion for freedom, our yearning for truth-telling, our daring to be authentic with one another and the vitality we sustain in our meeting together. In all of this, there is love. So it's my pleasure to introduce uh, Sally to you this morning as the Reverend Sally Mabel. Sally uh, was ordained on the 5th of December as an interfaith minister by the Sufi Ruhaniyat International. And Sally has been training and uh, practicing and studying interfaith uh, for about seven years now. And this involves finding and experiencing the unity of religious ideals that underlie every faith. Uh, and it's why Sally feels aligned to our Unitarian uh, principles and values. So Sally, thank you for leading the service this morning and speaking to us. Over to you. Thank you, Nina, for that introduction. And um, this morning, as the, you know, the theme is mysticism as activism. And when I Googled, I thought, well, let me see what's out there, as you do. And I said, I'll Google Unitarian mysticism. And lo and behold, up comes on the UUA website, Unitarian Universalist Association website, um, a 10-week adult RE course called Spirit in Practice. And it's a wonderful course. I was thinking, Clay, you might want to do that as your next course. <laughs> it's 10-week, it's got all the lesson plans, and it's wonderful. Um, and it was by Eric Wickstrom Walker. Now, this morning, I will be weaving some of those stories from that course um, together with inspirational 
pieces of poems and readings from other authors. First one is the story of the mystic and the scientist. One day, a religious man approached a mystic and asked, does God exist? Allow me to go within for an answer, she said. After meditating for quite some time, expanding her heart consciousness to embrace the spirit of life and the interconnected web of all creation, she answered, I don't know what you mean by God, but I do know that this world is more mysterious and more wonderful than I could ever imagine. I know that you and I are part of something so much larger than our own lives. Perhaps this something else is what you seek. Then the religious man approached a scientist. Does God exist, he said, he asked. Let me think, the scientist replied. And so she thought. She thought about the vastness of the universe, the 156 billion light years, or something like 936 billion trillion miles in diameter and almost the immeasurable smallness of a quark. She thought of how the energy of the Big Bang fuels the beating of her own heart. And she answered, I do not know what you mean by the word God, but I do know that this world is more mysterious and more wonderful than I could ever imagine. I know that you and I are part of something so much larger than our own lives. Perhaps this something larger is what you seek. Then the religious man thought to himself, and he thought what he, about what he knows, what he doesn't know. He thought about how he knows what he knows, how he knows what he doesn't know. And he thought about his experience of the world and how it is just one tiny infinitesimal fraction of all experience. He thought about his dependence on forces larger than himself. And he thought about the interdependence of existence and he experienced wonder and pondered mystery. And then he knew, he knew in his soul the truth of what the mystic and the scientist said are true, that he is, some, he is part of something so much larger than his own life. Let's take a breath, take that in, in the spirit of Thich Nhat Hanh. The religious man called it God, which as mythologist Joseph Campbell says, is a metaphor for all that transcends intellectual thought. Quaker, Mark Russ, asks in his blog, jollyquaker.com, have we become too concerned with political activism at the expense of spiritual depth? Or are we spending too much time navel-gazing rather than getting out there and letting our lives preach? To use all our gifts and skills and emotions in pursuit of a better world is itself an act of worship. To be an activist is to be a mystic. But contemplation is also an action. It's something you do, and it can be hard work. You could even say that prayer and worship are political acts. To open ourselves to the grand mystery of the spirit of life is to acknowledge a force higher than the political powers of this world. As we say in our covenant, service is our prayer. It's mysticism that gives us strength to act and it's activism that is the fruit of mysticism. We shouldn't assume that contemplative Unitarians are, are navel-gazing and unproductive and that active Unitarians are unspiritual. Some of us may see contemplation, worship, and prayer as something that achieves nothing, as a waste of time. Activism gets things done. 
But where does our strength for activism come from? If we rely purely on our own strength, the challenges of activism mean we'll soon have nothing left to give and they'll lead to burnout. Activism that has no time for mysticism ends in burnout. These times require more than action. They require spiritual transformation. The, this wisdom and will to save our planet can only come from the deep experiences of the sacredness of life. In his book, Mystical Activism, psychotherapist John C. Robinson writes that healing the self and the world are one and the same. We're currently experiencing an evolutionary pressure for collective awakening. We each hold the power to change the world right where we are. To call these end times is not hyperbole. We are in trouble and the signs are everywhere. Extreme political divisions, xenophobic violence, enormous wealth inequality, poverty, homelessness, racism, sexism, the arms race, etc., etc., etc. The left brain, right brain reference. Oh, oh, we are the cause of these dark times. We are the cause. Driven by left brain beliefs, illusions, and obsessions, humanity races headlong toward collapse of civilization. But fortunately, the solution to these mounting crises lies in the human psyche, arising from a most surprising source, the right brain. And the right brain's natural mystical consciousness, our survival depends on whether we grasp and resolve this paradox in time. The left brain, right brain reference reminds me of the story of the head and the body. Head, left brain, body, right brain. Once upon a time, there was a head. Just a head, by sheer force of will, or maybe it was some kind of psychokinetic energy. The head was able to move itself around. It opened doors, it picks things up. In fact, the head could do about anything you or I could do. And to hear the head tell of it, life was pretty good when you're a head. No stubbed toes, you never hit your funny bone, no love handles, no stomach aches, no tense shoulders. And to hear the yeah, and of course, there are no dips in the hot tub or the sauna. No lazy days in freshly washed sheets. And while the head could eat food and taste it just as well as you and I, it could never feel satisfied or full. And after a while, the head came to realize that it was incomplete. So one day, when the head saw a body that had no head of its own, the head got really excited. It floated over and suggested that the two might get together. Of course, the body had no ears, could only use body language to communicate, but eventually the two of them made a connection. And when the head felt what it was like to have a body and the body felt what it was like to have a head, what else could they do? And the two of them have been dancing through life ever since. Take a breath, breathe that in, in the spirit of Thich Nhat Hanh. So I want to know how balanced, how is your head-body balance? Are you more active or are you more contemplative? Balance and equanimity is something that Thich Nhat Hanh preached and a lot of spiritual teachers preach, and they're the qualities we aspire to, to be balanced Equanimous. It's affirmed by the wise teacher who was known far and wide and who had mastered all the great disciplines of a spiritual seeker. 
She wandered the country and whenever, whenever people heard she was coming, they traveled to seek her wisdom and guidance. Great teacher, they would say, I wish to get closer to God. By what path do you travel now? She asked. I study the scriptures. I diligently apply myself day to night to unlocking their mysteries, might come the reply. And then she say, well, then you should put down your books and go walk in nature, thinking nothing but listening deeply. Another would say to her, well, I do good to every person I meet, doing all that I can to serve their needs. Then for a time, the teacher would reply, consider yourself well met and strive to serve your own needs as you have so well served others. One day, the teacher noticed someone in the back of the crowd who wasn't pushing to see her as most of them were. And she went to him. What is it I can do for you? She asked. I don't know, he replied. I feel in need of something, but I don't believe in God. And I have nothing you could call a practice. So she said, when do you feel most alive? When I'm playing with my children, the man said without hesitation. Then go play with your children, the teacher said, and you will find what you seek. So what is it that you are seeking? Once the great Sufi holy man, Nasruddin, was walking down the street when a group of women came running up to him, obviously distressed, they cried out, help us, Nasruddin, help us. What can be done? I will try to do, he replied. What seems to be the trouble? Our husbands, the women cried, they've all decided they have to go into the desert in order to dedicate themselves to finding Allah. <clears throat> Our children and we have been abandoned. This is not right. This should not be, Nasruddin said. And he set out after the pilgrims as fast as his donkey could carry him. As he approached the band of men, he began to shout, Help me! Help me, brothers! Help me! What seems to be the trouble, Nasruddin? The men replied. My donkey! I've lost my donkey! I can't find him anywhere! Help me! Help me search for him! I must find him! But he's right there, the men replied laughing. Can't you see you're sitting right on top of him? You don't have to go anywhere to find him. And why do you, Nasruddin said, pulling his donkey to a stop, feel that you must go anywhere to look for Allah? Go back to your wives, go back to your lives, and that's just what they did. Take another breath, breathe that one in. As we awaken our consciousness right here at home, right where we are, right where we find ourselves, then what? We just sit and meditate, what's then? Young Prince Siddhartha, who you've heard, known as the Buddha, had been raised in complete luxury. His life had been so arranged that he knew no suffering, no lack, no want. So when he first encountered suffering in the form of a sick person, an old person, or a dying person, and a dying person, he was determined to find its cause and a solution. So for six years, he endured the most extreme self-denial in the Hindu, Hindu tradition of his day. Eventually, he sat himself down beneath the Bodhi tree, determined to remain in deep meditation 
until he solved the problem of suffering. For six days he sat, and then he had an awakening through which he saw the deep truth of reality. He entered a state of perfect oneness and bliss, nirvana. And he was tempted to remain in that state, for here there was no suffering, no struggle, no sorrow, no strife. But what good would it do for him to have found the solution to merely his own life suffering? What would be the result of his determination if he alone attained nirvana while all other beings suffered? Siddhartha roused himself and stood up. It was the beginning of a new day and there was much work to be done. And in the words of cultural anthropologist, Angela, Angelus Ariane, may we walk the mystical path with practical feet. Amen, amen, swaha, blessed be. And so I'll take a breath as we listen to the Thich Nhat Hanh bell again. I was just reading a book by him. It was so right before I heard, you can see it, Going Home, Jesus and Buddha as Brothers. And it's a wonderful book about the West, the Western tradition and the Eastern tradition of how the West is activist-oriented, going out and helping all the people, and the East is more contemplative. And he said, look, if Jesus and Buddha met each other, they wouldn't try to convert each other. What they'd say is, hey, brother, how do we help bring peace to the world. You know, I support your work, you support me work, beautiful. Before I extinguish, I think I just feel inspired because um, we were talking about Thich Nhat Hanh, um, to just say a little poem by him, um, a breathing meditation, before we go into extinguishing the chalice, okay? So, and, I, and if, right where you are, if you can practice your breathing, your deep breathing while I say the poem. Okay. Breathing in, I know I am breathing in. Breathing out, I know I am breathing out. Breathing in, I notice my in-breath has become deeper. Breathing out, I notice my out-breath has become slower. Breathing in, I calm myself. Breathing out, I feel at ease. Breathing in, I smile. Breathing out, I release. Breathing in, I dwell in the present moment. Breathing out, I feel it's a wonderful moment. That's how he lived his life, as well as writing a hundred books, hundred more plus books, starting a few temples. And, the start, and also, did you know Martin Luther King nominated him for the Nobel Peace Prize? Martin Luther King Jr. said he's the most deserving person he'd ever met. So, I, my closing words are, 
In the words of civil rights leader, author, and philosopher Howard Thurman, don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive and go do it because the world needs more people who come alive. Okay, here's your discussion questions. Before Nina's going to put you into groups of, let's see, we have 19 people. And the questions Nina will put up in the chat are these. What activities make you feel most alive and connected to something larger than yourself? Do you consider these spiritual practices? Why or why not? And how do those practices serve the world? 